Welcome to Living Ultra Rare, a podcast sponsored by the ABL Plus Foundation, raising awareness about rare diseases and the people who live with them. And now, here are your hosts, Paul Bitterman and Barry Funkhauser. You're listening to Living Ultra Rare, presented by the AVL Plus Foundation. I'm Barry Funkhauser. And I'm Paul Bitterman, and we're having inspiring conversation with those living with ultra rare uh, disorders. Today, we're joined on the show by Anne-Marie and her daughter, Amy, and we are discussing uh, Amy's son, um, Lewis. Hi, guys. Hi. Hi. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Have you ever been on a podcast before? No, never. This is a first. Oh, this is so exciting. It is. (laughs) Everyone with a rare disease has a diagnostic journey. So can you tell us about your diagnostic journey? How did you discover what has been uncovered? Well, Lewis, when he was born, uh, he was born prematurely, four weeks early, and he was only four pounds, 13 ounces. To leave the hospital, you have to be five pounds. And to get Lewis to that five-pound mark was very difficult. It wasn't an easy task. They okay, wait, let, me, let me stop you for a second. Now, let's go back to before Lewis was born. Did you know anything was about to happen? No, we didn't know anything was about to happen. It was all blindsided. So you just thought you're going to have a healthy baby boy. Right. And how many months after the baby came, did things start being weird? Um, it was it was weird pretty much right off the bat. Like he wasn't he was um pooping a lot and throwing up and he wasn't gaining the weight. So the doctor had him uh admitted pretty quickly, um, after, you know, he wasn't gaining weight and um what was it about three months? Three months we finally got the, the actual diagnosis. Um now did you have babies had- was this your first baby or yes. Okay, so you didn't have any like preconceived notion that anything may have been wrong, right? You were just like, did you? No, I had no idea. I'm just like, why is he not gaining weight? You know, what could be happening? Like, I just didn't know what what was going on, you know. We had this tiny little bundle that would eat and then projectile vomit, and it would come out the other end like, Oh my goodness, what is this? You know, and he wasn't gaining weight and we'd take him back and forth to the pediatrician and at at a certain visit she mentioned something called failure to thrive and we were like, What is that? And she actually sent us straight from the visit to the emergency room at the children's hospital in Norfolk, Virginia. Okay. And- failure to thrive. Let's talk about that for a second. Paul, do you know anything about that? Yeah, that that is the boilerplate excuse doctors give patients or their families when they don't really know what the hell is going on. Uh, I was di- I was diagnosed as failure to thrive when I was a baby. I Noah, who we spoke to recently, was diagnosed as failure to thrive. That's just what they say when they go. We don't know. We don't know what it is, so we're just going to call it that. Hmm. Uh, how long did it take to get for for Lewis to get diagnosed with he has a beta lipoproteinemia, right? Yes, yes, yes. Um, he was about three months old finally. He actually got yeah. the diagnosis. Uh, he was born January second, 
he got the diagnosis uh, March 16th of uh, 2016. Tell us about your doctor and how they handled it. It was actually like a team of doctors at CHKD um, because that's a big medical uh, school, Virginia, right there. So there would be a bunch of the doctors in there. Uh, but the head doctor was was very nice. They, they did a whole bunch of tests. Um, they were just pretty much pulling at hairs, really. I mean, just trying to rule anything and everything out that they could think of. But it was the gastroenterologist team that that took control of him at that point. And they did an endoscopy and a colonoscopy um, and a biopsy. And that's what ultimately led to the diagnosis. And when they... When they spewed this big word at us, this A beta lipoproteinemia, <laughs> we were like, what? Triple word score in Scrabble. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And do, um, do, you, they, do you have any idea what, what exactly was it that, that pointed them in that direction? Because it is so rare that there had to be something that they went, oh, maybe it's this. I think it was the, the, the constant you know, of the, the constant bowel movements and how we would tell them that it had a different odor and you know, it was very smelly, like not your average smell, just like even 10 times worse. Right. Just to say it to Rhea, the, the, the fact that he wasn't, um, his, his muscles weren't developing. I mean, they knew several of the, the things that went along with a beta lipoproteinemia that, that he had. You know, he just he wasn't developing his, his muscles. He couldn't do the things that a child his age was supposed to be doing, that a typical like, child his age was going to be doing. Or his head up, he, wasn't, he couldn't do that for a very, very long time. You know, those kinds of right. things. But, but I think it was mostly from the, the bowel end of it that, yeah. that gave them to the idea to go in that direction. But the thing is, once they went in that direction, they kind of didn't know where to go from there. Right. They were like, okay, now we kind of have this diagnosis. What do we do about it? Hmm. Did you have any family history of things like this? No, never. (laughs) Not even anything close. I was just really working as a... As a medical assistant, wanted to move down here with my parents, so I had done that right before for Lewis, but that was really it, just being a typical someone my age, just going out and working and doing that kind of thing. You know, our, our family history medically had always just been, watch our hearts. Yeah. You know, we, yeah. we always had a long, long history of heart problems. High cholesterol High and cholesterol. heart attack. The interesting thing about that, obviously, Amy, you have the gene which means obviously, Anne-Marie, you have the gene, which means it's somewhere in your family history. And Amy Lewis's dad also had the gene. So so somewhere in both family histories, and it's the same with my parents. It's like, wait, there was never any indication of anything like this, and yet here we are. I still question that because Lewis was also born with a chromosome deletion. Hmm. And it happens to be the chromosome that the MTTP gene resides on. Being as we have never had anything of this in our family, our family, meaning from Amy and my side, and unfortunately, no one in the genetics 
end that we've spoken to can give me a real answer on this. And I've, I've even, I have a nephew and a niece that both have their, well, his wife, my nephew's wife, have their PhDs in genetics. They've tried to give me a little information, but not actually studying this in particular. They can't give me a definite on it. But since the MPTP gene resides within his deleted area, I wonder if our family really has this or if it's more a result of his chromosome deletion. My question has always been, how can you have a mutated gene that does, isn't there, right? Yeah. You know, or it shouldn't be there because of this deletion. And the one thing my nephew and his wife have said to me was sometimes these chromosomes reside in places that they're not supposed to be. You know, it's supposed to be on, on the long arm of the fourth chromosome, but he has this deletion that MPTP gene might actually have placed itself elsewhere where it didn't belong hmm. because that does happen with genes. Yeah. We'll never know that answer, of course, or at least not probably in not. our lifetime, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell us about your journey and what the doctors told you in 2016 about this? Yeah. Well, we, we had uh, the, the doctor that we were assigned when Lewis first uh, went into the, the hospital with his failure to thrive was the head of the gastroenterology group at Children's Hospital. And he knew of this disorder, but had never been exposed to it before. This was his first ever patient with a beta. Didn't know a lot about it. So, you know, we went through that normal process of, well, this formula is not working. Let's try this other formula. And that formula didn't help stop the problems with the projectile vomiting and the super poop. Let's try another formula. And we probably tried at least four different formulas until we came upon a monogen formula that he seemed to be able to tolerate better than any of the previous ones. And he had to be hospitalized, a different hospitalization, to test all these formulas out each time the formulas were changed. You know, one of the things we, of course, immediately, I immediately went to Facebook because that's what I do. I research things. And I found Paul's old Yahoo group, which didn't exist anymore. But I kept posting on there, somebody, somebody, anybody, are any of you people there? Help me. And none of them were there. You know, we kept going after the doctor, asking him to, to find doctors somewhere that had experience with this. And we're talking months down the road now where, you know, we're trying all these formulas that aren't working. And I think it was probably almost at the, till the end of the year because Lewis was born January 2nd. Mm -hmm. And I think it wasn't until November, perhaps, that we finally got him to reach out to a doctor in Canada. And Paul, you know the name of the doctor because I think he might have been was it Dr. Hegley? I've heard of Dr. Hegley. I was going to ask yeah. if it was Dr. Deckelbaum. No, I think it was Dr. Hegley. I think um, I've heard he, of him. Yeah. Yeah. I think he finally reached out to Dr. Hegley and got some additional information from him on how to to go about working Treating with, it with and, this disorder. Yeah. And when he did that, 
we finally started making some progress and that's when the monogen came into play and you know, we, we started seeing some improvement in Lewis. Lewis was almost a year old. Now, Amy told you he was a little under five pounds when we brought him home in March. At a year old, he only weighed nine something pounds. So he is what, seven years old now? Is that correct? He's seven, seven and a half years old now. And he's barely weighs 32 pounds now. Have you reached out to all the doctors that are skilled in this? We have a good list now of, of doctors around the world, from Israel to to Canada to the United States, who do work with ABL patients. But they're, they're all on the ABL Foundation website. Nice plug, uh, ablfoundation.org. <laughs> there are a couple more uh, who we don't have direct contact with, but uh, it's a small group. Now, the, the interesting thing about A-Beta specifically, and M Marie and Amy, I don't know if you know this or not, but this is actually one of the rare diseases that is taught to medical students when they're first learning about rare diseases because it's one of the oldest. And so when they when they talk about rare disease, they go, oh, well, there's this one called a beta lipoproteinemia and this is what it is and what it means. And that's pretty much as far as it gets. Um, Yes. You know, when you when you mentioned that name and maybe because of the, the length of the name and the, the complication of how to pronounce the name, there are doctors that have heard of it. But, and that's mm-hmm. as far as it goes. Oh, yes, I've heard of that. But mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. Yeah, you they know? don't know anything about it yet. They get one day about it in, in medical school. And that was it. You know, it's interesting. We had um, a, another patient, Anna Marie, um, who Anne Marie, you know. Who actually? So one of our researchers on the on the foundation is Dr. Uh, Mahmoud Hussein, who is a researcher and he teaches in medical school. And she actually went and spoke to his class of three week old doctor trainees uh, <laughs> at his medical school. I think it was yesterday, or it was certainly this week. And they were just like blown away because he was telling them about you know, rare diseases and lipid disorders, because that's that's what he deals in, Dr. Hussein, is lipid disorders. And he said, oh, and hey, guess what? We have a person who has one. And then she walked. <laughs> so, uh-huh. you know, that was really cool. And she's going to write about it in, in the Facebook group. So anyway, sorry, that was a tangent, Barry. I no, I love it. This is uh, accurate information, you know. Is there some sort of cure? There's no treatment. cure. There's no treatment. treatment, but not a cure. The physical, physical therapy, uh, every vitamins and the treatment is, is vitamin therapy. Mm-hmm. Basically, that's it. Because with a beta lipoproteinemia, your body cannot press fats, uh, cannot process yeah. fats and fat soluble vitamins. So that has to be supplemented to your body. And of course, they're the most important vitamins that your body needs. It's unfortunate in that none of your insurance companies will cover the cost of this because they are over-the-counter vitamins. They consider it a dietary supplement, and Mm -hmm. they won't cover it. What is the supplement? Vitamins A, E, D, and K. And yes, your body needs very large doses of them to the point where it costs a lot of money out of pocket. They're considered supplements as opposed to medical necessities. They're not gotten by prescription. 
Now, why is that? Are we behind the times? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know, there, are, there are some members of our group that live up in Canada and they, they get them because they have a different medical system up in Canada. Also, you know, consider that a lot of these people that have a beta are on Medicaid and Medicaid is not an easy thing to deal with. We don't have anyone backing us from a, I'll say a, a political standpoint to say, hey, these patients need these vitamins, not as a supplementary thing, but as a true medical life sustaining like it is a medical Dang. necessity. Like that's mm-hmm. their medication. And without these these vitamins, their brain won't develop. Paul and Anna Marie, the situation that they're in at their ages, the eyesight issues that they both have because of, of what they need in terms of these vitamins. And, and let me ask a, a question, if you don't mind me asking, and if you don't want to answer it, you don't have to. But so you mentioned that that it's high out-of-pocket expense. So for a seven-year-old getting these vitamins, how much are you spending a year? Over $800 a month for the vitamin supplements. I shouldn't say supplements because we're just saying they're not supplements, but mm. um, it's costing us over $800 a month out-of-pocket for what Lewis needs for his vitamins. So about $10,000 a year. At and minimum, yeah. Just buying vitamins for a seven-year-old, and imagine seven what that's going to be when he's 27. Right. Do you have to buy more supplements as they get older? Certainly. Oh, yeah. yeah the, the, old, the older you get, the dosages go up. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Is there anybody leading the way in the future of health tech? There's a lot of discussion about gene therapy. That seems to be what everybody wants to know is, can we cure or treat something like a beta lipoproteinemia with gene therapy. There, there are gene therapies out there, most notably for some cancers. And I asked our doctors on the foundation board recently about gene therapy and whether or not that could be a treatment. And their answer was, well, NIH, the National Institute of Health in Bethesda, Maryland, it's a government-run uh, facility, uh, spent a lot of money and a lot of time researching gene therapies for gastrointestinal issues in general, not not specifically A-beta, but generally for, for rare diseases related to gastrointestinal stuff. And the short answer they came up with at the time was that no, gene therapy is not effective for those types of illnesses because of the fact that the chemicals, for lack of a better description, the chemicals that the body produces in order to do the work it has to do to digest food gets recycled so fast that the, that a gene therapy wouldn't be able to get the body to produce it correctly. That's that was the now that that was the explanation I was given. Now that's not to say in five years or ten years or whatever, maybe that will be maybe hopefully god we can hope by the time lewis is an adult that might be a thing and and that would be wonderful if it is i mean so okay so let's talk about lewis now how is he doing he's a seven-year-old bouncing baby boy and (laughs) is he going to school what's his life like yes he is going to school um he also get some therapies because of the chromosome deletion he is developmentally delayed 
most of the children that, that just have the a beta don't have these other problems that Lewis has. Yes, he um, has an extra set of problems on yeah. top of the already problems. Right, so they, they get to live their lives like typical children for the most part, I would say. And they, they just have to watch their diets and take their vitamins and so forth. Um, yes. Is he in public school or what? How is he? Yes, he's, he's in public school, but he's in a special needs class. He is a very bright boy. Very smart. He, he loves school. He loves to learn. He loves music. He loves music. I'm teaching him to play the ukulele. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, the ukulele. Okay, that's great. <laughs> I, I have to accompany him. Yeah, I have to hold his hands and, and do that sort of thing. But he love, he's a lover of music. He's happy. The happiest, happiest little boy you'd ever want to meet. Unless his tummy hurts. Unless his tummy hurts. He gets, has a lot of uh, gas problems because of the A-beta. He's nonverbal and non-mobile. But <laughs> he, he gets his point across. He, he's been starting to work with a communication device, which he loves. He's been having a great time learning to use his communication device. But he is also learning sign language now. So, yes, he gets his point across. He lets everybody know what's going on and what he needs. So every child brings their family joy. Tell us something about Lewis that brings you guys joy. His smile every day. His his outlook at, at life. Yeah. For, for a child that has so many restrictions that have been put on him by his body. He's just always so happy, and he just everyone he meets gets him down. <laughs> yeah, everyone that meets Lewis falls in love with Lewis within seconds. Yep. I mean, he is like I said, he is just the happiest child you could ever meet. He's very loving, very affectionate. He loves to give you hugs, and he's just he loves life. He enjoys life. That's wonderful. I, I'm glad mm. to hear that because you know with with people in general who have serious health issues, it's not always easy to be that happy. So I'm, I'm glad right. to, I'm glad to see he is. So I want, I want to go back a little bit sort of and say, okay, we'll go back to 2016 when he was born and you guys obviously had no answers and no idea what was going on and your doctors didn't really either. So let's fast forward now. If you could tell parents who are on their on their own diagnostic journey right now something that you didn't know back then that you wish you did, what would you tell them? To keep on their doctors, to speak with other doctors and do research. I know a lot of doctors probably don't, they don't have a lot of free time and they don't want to have to do a whole bunch of research, but they don't know the answers to something. Ask them to research it. Ask them to to please reach out to other doctors to try to find the answers that they need and to get help from other people. And just instead of saying, no, I, I don't know, oh, I don't have the answer. That that was the toughest thing to get our doctor to finally contact other doctors that had experience with this disorder. We, we knew you know, like I said, at, at about three months, the doctor said he has a beta, but he didn't reach out to other doctors until I think I actually shamed him into doing it. Mm-hmm. After that point, our relationship changed with the doctor for the better. I would have yes, expected definitely. it to be the opposite of that. It actually changed for the better. Not that we had a bad relationship to begin with. 
you know, that is a, to, to my perception, and I think a lot of people, especially people with uh, rare illnesses, but people in general, I think, have this perception about doctors that they don't feel the need to consult with other doctors about things. And, and maybe that's a misconception. I'm sure we're, yeah. we're going we're gonna to have a doctor on soon uh, who will probably tell me I'm crazy. We're almost in that situation again because our doctor, unfortunately, after six and a half years, retired at the end of December. And we've got a new doctor that worked with him. But unfortunately, we're, we're back with a doctor that doesn't have experience with a beta. And we kind of feel like we're at a standstill again. We don't know where to go from here because Lewis is continuing to have, you know, the same problems that he'd been having before with the continued diarrhea and, and that sort of thing. And We'd love to have you on again. If anything progresses or changes in Lewis's life, please let us know, okay? Of course, yes, sure. We're always willing to take part in anything that Paul puts together. We're happy to, to help yeah. in any way. Thank you, and thank you for coming on. We really appreciate it. Sure, yes, no thank problem. Thank you, Barry, for doing this, and thank you, Paul. It's, Thanks it's for great. having us. You've been listening to Living Ultra Rare. This podcast has been made possible by the ABL Plus Foundation, providing scientific, data-driven information and guidance in the diagnosis and management of abetolipoproteinemia and related disorders. Thank you for listening. To learn more and to donate, please visit ablfoundation.org.